invite you to take your Bibles this morning and open to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Thank you for praying for those at uh, Senior High Camp this week. Uh, Pastor James and uh, Bethany went with our guys and gals, and they had a great week. Um, Pastor James had a group of boys who had been to camp, who knew camp, who uh, were just very comfortable, and so it was a good week for him. And Bethany had some girls that had never been to camp. It was a great spirit, and uh, there were a lot of cool things that God did, and I encourage you to talk to Bethany or maybe Jenna, uh, Jenna Carpenter, she's here, how God worked, and several of those girls in their cabin got saved this week uh, up at RBC. So it was a wonderful, wonderful thing to hear how God was at work. This is our, our last Sunday for the month of July as we have one service, and I've sought these past five, well, four Sundays uh, to walk through just some different things in regards to life in the church. We talked about all the way back uh, the first Sunday of Jesus Christ building his church, Jesus says that in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The next Sunday, we looked at Hebrews 10 and how the author of Hebrews encourages his readers to not neglect the gathering of themselves together as is the habit of some. Why is it important to gather together as a body of believers? To encourage one another, to love and good works because of our shared faith in Jesus Christ, of our participation in the body. And then last week, we looked at Colossians 1, where Paul is praying for these believers that he's never met. He's only heard of them, but yet he prays that God would help them live their lives in a manner worthy to which they've been called, to live out the gospel. And what does that involve? It involves... Um, uh, of growing in knowledge of Jesus Christ, of being strengthened by God's power, of being, being thankful, being grateful people. And all of this comes from their faith in Jesus Christ, the fact that they have gone from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son, Jesus Christ. So we've talked about the importance of gathering together and of encouraging one another, of praying for one another, and praying specifically. And this morning, we're gonna look at the necessity of giving, of serving one another and being generous people. In our constitution, it says the main responsibilities of a member of Horton Baptist Church is to gather together as a church body, to not neglect the assembling of ourselves, but to gather together to serve one another, to pray for one another and the ministries of the church. And then lastly, to willingly serve and give to the ministry of Horton Baptist Church. So that's the kind of the schematic that I used as we pull these passages together to look what God has to say about these things. So this morning, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 15. Let's pray, and then I'll read our passage this morning. Father, thank you for the opportunity to come and to worship and to sing the songs we've just sung. What gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer? There is no more that heaven now can give. Lord, as I think of that statement, how often I think, I want this, I want that, but what more could you give than your own son? Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his death, burial, and resurrection, the hope and the life that we can have in him, united to him. We are in Christ. Help us now as we come to your word to receive it with humility. Help me to clearly explain the text, and Lord, that we would go forth more like Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. 
2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 15. If you're using a pew Bible, it's page 968, page 968, starting in verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. As I thought this week about this passage and about the necessity for giving and generous giving, the negative kept coming to my mind, right? Somebody who isn't generous. And the word that kept popping up in my mind is cheapskate, right? Maybe you know somebody and they're a cheapskate. You take them out, you go out for supper, and somehow... They never end up paying for the meal or they're always conveniently using the restroom when the bill comes, right? A cheapskate. Maybe it's somebody in business dealings. Maybe it's a relative you know or someone in your sphere of influence is a cheapskate. And I thought, that's an interesting word. Where does that come from? So to find out anything, I just go on Google, right? Origin of the word cheapskate. And as I found a few articles that talked about it, it goes back to the late 1800s and the 1890s. And obviously the word cheap and then the word skate. So cheap is pretty self-explanatory, right? Something that is someone that's stingy, um, somebody who is not generous, miserly, often came up. Um, the negative aspects, right? Stingy, miserly, cheap. But the word skate, what is what does that have to do? Well, a skate in the late 1800s was somebody who was a person who was generally disliked. They were skatish. They were a skate. I don't know uh, what the origin then was of that, but putting those two words together, you have somebody who is cheap, who is stingy, and somebody who is generally disliked, and they put them together. They're a cheapskate. Somebody who always was looking out for themselves and what they could get, who was not generous with what they had to help others or those in need, being a cheapskate. And that has negative connotations today. People are, can be, cheapskates. Now, this is different than being frugal, being wise with your money, or making a dollar stretch a long way. But this is somebody who never, ever feels the need to help someone else who's always looking out for themselves. They're stingy. They're a cheapskate. 
But as we look here at 2 Corinthians 9, and as we think of our life in Christ and as a church, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we are not called to be cheapskates. We're actually called to be the opposite. We're called to be generous. Now, God doesn't just tell us, hey, be generous. It's not just a blanket command with no motivation or other underlying factor. But rather, and our big idea this morning is this, is that the grace of God, the grace of God enables us to give generously. God doesn't tell us to do something without giving us the motivation and the ability, the resources, the means by which to do it. God doesn't save us and say, okay, good luck, live your life on your own. No, he gives us his word. He gives us his Holy Spirit. We are united with Jesus Christ. We are not living this Christian life on our own power. And as we think of being generous and giving and using what we have to serve God and serve others, we don't do it in our own strength, but we do it through the fact that God gives us his grace that enables us to give generously. Now, this morning, a lot of the focus is going to be on material giving, the idea of money. But this is applied to every aspect of our life. You can give generously with what you have financially. You can give generously with what you have in regards to time. You can give generously in what you have in regard to ability or skill. So while the focus may directly be here on financial money, but it's applied to every aspect of our life. Are we generous people? The grace of God enables us to give generously. So let's, let's look here at 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 15. Before we jump in, we need to figure out where we're at here in the flow of 2 Corinthians. Uh, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. This is obviously 2 Corinthians, but he's written more than two letters to them. We don't have a couple of them. They've been lost. Through God's sovereignty, uh, they were not maybe inspired um, or they weren't inspired because we don't have them today, but he's writing 2 Corinthians, and as you read the beginning of 2 Corinthians, Paul is defending his ministry. He's defending his apostleship. Uh, he is defending what he's done on behalf of Christ, where he's at, and also in Corinth. And so he's addressing all these things. But here he comes in chapter 8 and chapter 9 to uh, discussing the idea of giving generously. Well, why? What's the situation? The church in Jerusalem was struggling. They had needs. More than likely, a lot of commentators think there was a famine. It was a hard year. Uh, they were lacking persecution uh, from other uh, religious groups, the Jews, and, uh, and then the Roman authorities, making it difficult for the followers of Jesus to buy, to trade, to have enough means to live. And so they had need. And the church in Corinth took up a collection to send to the church in Jerusalem. They heard of a need in a sister church, and they gathered together, and that they gave. And this is a wonderful thing. Paul was very thankful that they did this. Um, and he talks to them, and he is thankful for what they've done. And, and then he he goes on to continue to clarify and to explain the motivation for their giving here. So the church is already demonstrating some of these things, but Paul continues to encourage and to explain them of how God enables them to give generously. So we come to 
verse six here in chapter nine. And as we think of God enabling us to give generously, there's three ways or three ways or um, yeah, three ways. I can say that another way. Three ways <laughs> uh, how God enables us to give generously. First off, we are to give. He enables us to give with a cheerful spirit. So let's look here at verse six and verse seven and look at this cheerful spirit. He says, the point is this. So he spent a chapter and a half almost talking about their gift and their receiving and their giving, all these different things. And he, now he's kind of, this is the bottom line. The point is this. He says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Paul says this, you're giving, but understand this. If you give sparingly, the resulting grace and blessing will be sparse. If you give generously or bountifully, you will also reap bountifully. So he introduces this principle here, that the more you give, the more you will receive. The more you give, the more you will receive. And he uses this illustration of agriculture, of sowing and reaping. Most of us are familiar with that, right? If you plant three, four, five kernels of corn and you get three, four, five stalks of corn, you're going to get that many bushel, which won't be a whole lot. <laughs> but if you plant fields and fields of corn, the return is going to be that much more. It's pretty simple. It's this principle of sowing and reaping. The more you plant, the more you have opportunity to harvest. That's why we had uh, Tom read for us from Galatians uh, 6 of sowing and reaping. What you sow, you will also reap. But here, it's in regard to giving. And this idea comes together that in our giving, we also receive. Paul quotes Jesus and saying that it is more blessed to give than receive. We understand that. But in our giving, we also receive blessing. Now, your minds might go to a, an economical way of thinking when you hear this. I know mine did when I was reading it this week, right? This is an investment strategy. Perfect. I'm going to give a lot, and I'm going to get a lot in return. Yes and no. <laughs> That's not quite what Paul had in mind here, because he is not talking about you give a dollar, you get two back. He doesn't give any sort of paradigm for that. But rather, this receiving that we are getting is a blessing. It's, a, it's a, a, a demonstration of God's grace. And we'll talk about that here in verse 8 in a little bit. But as we sow, we will reap. If you sow a lot, you will reap a lot. If you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. What you invest and give and lovingly and generously offer to others it's amazing how God returns that. And it's maybe not in kind, right? Like I mentioned, you give $10 to somebody in need, you may not get $10 back, but it's amazing how God blesses that gift. And this idea is not unique here to 2 Corinthians 9. Listen to these verses in Proverbs. This is Proverbs 11, verse 24 and 25. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, 
and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Proverbs 19.17 Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Proverbs 22, verses 8 and 9. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, and the rod of his fury will fail. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. You see this principle of sowing and reaping. What you give, how you serve, what you do, there is a return for it. And we see these words repeated in Galatians 6, but also Jesus' words in Luke. To whom much is given, much is required, right? Uh, To whom much is given, much is required. The idea of using it for God's glory. The more you give, in a sense, the more you will receive. But what will you receive? God's grace, his unmerited favor. It's important to understand that Paul's encouragement here is not for economical gain, as I already mentioned. We can't control God like that. We need to be very careful when we think about that. But in our generous giving, we receive generous blessing from the Lord by his grace in various different ways. One author said this, all our giving or also our failure to do so is a response to the prior goodness, grace, and blessing of God. Our response is that of faith or unbelief. And that points back to the imagery of agriculture, of sowing and reaping. For what we plant isn't ultimately from us. We didn't put the seed together. We can't make the seed grow. God can do that. Only God can do that. But we use what we are given and we give generously and cheerfully. We see Paul goes on here in verse seven. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He says, as we talk of sowing and reaping, of giving generously. He says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. You must be resolved in your own heart for what you are giving, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Sowing and reaping is not an economical transaction. It's not an investment, but it should be done cheerfully with willingness. Right? Look at these words. It must not be um, reluctant or under compulsion. Have you ever gotten a letter in the mail from somebody or something, or you go to a dinner and it says, you know, suggested donation? Like, right, now you're just going to use this to make me feel bad. (laughs) Because how often do we give out of um, guilt? I guess I better. Or we give out of what other people think. Other people are giving, I guess I need to, right? Or just out of sheer peer pressure. You go to a store now and they're getting wise. They're like, would you like to round up your extra change to this so-and-so? And And don't feel bad for saying, no, not today. (laughs) Um, But how often, I guess so, because in the back of your mind, you're like, oh, what is this person? Or out of our own inward guilt. But Paul says here, no, our giving should not be done that way. And it should not be done under compulsion. We shouldn't give feeling like, well, God wants me to give, so I guess I have to. No. And it's not reluctantly of, I don't really want to. I'm never going to see this again. And we give, right? Those are the ideas of reluctant giving. Our heart must be resolved 
in our giving. And this is something we grow in. This is a discipline that God grows us in from when we are saved and as we grow in maturity because the, the, the world tells us to hang on to what you have and to get all that you can get. And so our mind is hardwired to get what we want and to keep it and to hold it and to, to not give it away. But yet the gospel is slowly peeling our, our fingers back off of the things that we want and we hold so dear and we say, okay, Lord, okay, yeah, like this is yours. I have this because it's from you. And so I don't, yeah, I, I want to give. I want, I want to give. I want to be generous. I want to be known as somebody who is, who is willing to be a blessing to others. And so I'm not giving out of compulsion or out of reluctancy or out of guilt, but out of a cheerfulness. Out of a cheerfulness. One author said, God loves a joyful giver and not merely gifts. I think that's important because God doesn't just want your stuff. He has all the stuff. He has more stuff than he knows what to do with. He your stuff is lame compared to God's stuff. <laughs> he doesn't need it. But what he wants is for your heart to be filled with joy as you give. He loves a joyful or cheerful giver, not merely gifts, this author continues, which in themselves are ambiguous. No matter how large they are or what ends they, ostim- uh, they ultimately serve, God must come or giving must come from the heart apart from any recognition by others, or it is not giving at all. Entrance into this giving is participation in the unconditioned goodness of God. We are called to give cheerfully, resolved in our own hearts, not under compulsion or by outward appearances. More than our gifts, God wants our hearts to be cheerfully generous. And as I mentioned, this is more than just money, but time, energy, effort, Are you willing to cheerfully, I can do that, you bet. I can jump in, absolutely. Yeah, I can can listen to verses in Awana. Yeah, I know those kids are squirrely. (laughs) But I can sit and I can say, for the millionth time, come down, keep working on your verses. I can serve in the nursery. I can can go visit someone. I can uh, call someone. That's giving generously with a cheerful spirit as well. God calls us to have this joyful heart as we serve him. So by the grace of God, we're enabled to be generous and we're enabled to be so with a cheerful spirit. And that's what, that's what God wants us to have more than our gifts, but he wants our joyful attitudes. And we give generously. God enables us because we give what we've been given. Look at verse eight. So Paul talks about being a cheerful giver. And he says, and God, in verse 8, is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times you may abound in every good work. Who is able to make all grace abound to us? God is. He's able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, you may abound in every good work. There's a word that's used, is it five or six times in there? That word is all. or it's, it's, It's the word pos in Greek. It's all grace bound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may bound in that word every is actually the same word it says all good works you could say it that way in every good work five times paul uses this word and it's an all-encompassing word all means all and that's all that all means it means everything so god is able to make all grace abound to you so that we may be sufficient in all things at all times you may abound in every good work God is supplying you with the grace to abound in giving at all times. 
we can give generously because God ultimately has given all grace to us. God is able to make all grace abound to us. We have all sufficiency in all things. God has given us enough for us to be generous. You might think, I don't know. I'm not rich. Yeah, most of us aren't. But God has given you enough grace through material blessing, through skill, through time, through energy, through effort, to make all grace abound to us that we can be a blessing to others. It's the idea in 2 Corinthians 12, which Paul talks about that God's grace is sufficient in his weaknesses. It's the same idea in Philippians 4, where Paul says, I've learned to abound and be brought low. Hey, guess what? I've been shipwrecked. I've been naked and left for dead. I've been let down in a basket out of a window so people wouldn't kill me. (laughs) I've preached and seen people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I've been up and down, and yet through all those things, I've been able to be content. Why? Because of God's grace to me in Jesus. The grace that is given to us. And then Paul quotes here in verse 9, from Psalm 112, verse 9. He says this, He is distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He is pointing our minds to Psalm 112, which reminds us of God who distributes freely. He is given to the poor. And we might think in our minds that the poor here are those financially. When really, the context of Psalm 112, he's distributed to the poor, that's every single one of us. Because all of us are poor in what? Righteousness. We are all sinners. We are all poor in a spiritual sense. But God gives us a harvest of righteousness, which we'll see here in verse 10. God ultimately gives. He's the true source of all that we can give. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Paul expands upon this point here. How God is the one who ultimately provides all things that people need. Give us this day our daily bread. But Jesus prayed. From the poor to the rich, from the smart to the foolish, from the young to the old, God provides ultimately everything to us in his sovereign plan and care. God gives. He multiplies our sowing and increases the harvest, but it's the harvest of our righteousness. What Paul is doing here is he's shifting from the physical agricultural illustration to the spiritual result. We're talking about sowing and reaping, something that you can see and perceive and hold. You can literally taste. And he's saying, through these physical things, through this physical illustration, this metaphor, we are seeing the spiritual reality that the more you give of what you have, the more that God's grace abounds to you and you see the resulting harvest of his righteousness. We can never outgive God. Look at verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Things are a little tight. Okay. What does verse 11 say? It says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. God gives abundantly. God has given abundantly. And the ultimate gift that God has given us, which is the foundation 
It's the bedrock. It's our ultimate motivation for giving. Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God gave the ultimate gift in his son, Jesus Christ. That is the greatest gift that was ever given. And every gift is a participation in a sense in that. God enriches us. He empowers us. He enables us to give through his generous grace and through what he's already given us. We will be enriched in every way to be generous. And this results in thanksgiving and praise to God, which is our last point. God, through God's grace, we are enabled to give generously and we give with gratitude to God. That's a result. Thanksgiving and praise to God are the results of the believer's generous giving. Verse 12 explains here that the gift of the Corinthians is a blessing to the church, but underlying it, it's an act of thanksgiving to God. Verse 12, for the ministry of this service, that's this gift that they've given, is not only supplying the needs of the saints. So he's saying, yes, the direct application of your gift is meeting the needs of the church in Jerusalem, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Your gift, though it is meeting physical needs, ultimately results in praise and thanksgiving to God. In the church in Jerusalem, in Paul's life, in others who hear about it. I love hearing reports from the camp uh, as people give gifts and as we here have faithfully been participating in the ministry up at camp and have given towards different projects. And, and that rock, the, the new gymnasium up there is, is amazing. If go to men's and ladies retreat for no other reason than you get to see the rock. It is, it is awesome. We were able to use it at junior high camp, senior high camp. It is a huge blessing already. But it was so fun to hear, oh, some, some church gave this amount, some individual gave this amount and this amount, and you're working together. And though it's great to hear, oh man, that this is going to help to build this building, ultimately it resulted in praise and thanksgiving to God. God, thank you for your work. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for working in the lives of these other people and, and, and moving. And Lord, you're, you're doing something here. And it became less and less about this building and more and more about what God is doing and who God is. That's what Paul is saying here. This act of giving results in thanksgiving to God. Verse 13, by their approval of this service, this idea of approval is acceptance, by their acceptance of this gift, they, meaning the church in Jerusalem, will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. She says, because you have given this gift, they will receive it. They will glorify God because of your willingness to submit yourselves to Christ. You're living out the gospel. And, end of verse 13, the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. He's saying your activity your willingness to serve the Lord in this way, basically living out your salvation, church in Corinth, results in them praising God for you. Verse 14, and while they long for you, the church in Jerusalem longs and prays for you. Here's another illustration of a church praying for another church because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. They're very thankful for the gift. It's gonna meet needs. 
but ultimately they are thankful to God for his work in the life of the church in Corinth and their willingness to be used by God, their willingness to submit themselves and say, hey, what we have is ultimately from God and we want to be using it to serve others. It resulted in praise and honor to God. And verse 15, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Paul here wraps it up with this, this doxological phrase, this, this praise uh, or phrase of worship. He says, all this is happening. You're giving, they're receiving. God ultimately is giving to you and you're using it to bring him honor and glory. And one author says this, but what is the gift that Paul has in mind? We know it's contours. It involves God's self-giving in Christ. The wonder of his taking upon himself our poverty, sin, and guilt. The wonder in which he has made us rich. It entails Christ's grace, which not only meets our every need, but it also elevates us to share in the divine giving. It includes God's creation of true community in which the reality of giving is present. What is that author saying? He's saying, Paul is thankful for this inexpressible gift, ultimately of Jesus is gift of his own life. But when we participate in salvation and we give, we are demonstrating and living out that sacrifice of Christ over and over again through our giving. The gift is inexpressible and it's the source of our giving. We give because God calls us to, but also because it is who God is. God is a giving God. Think of this. God gives life to everything in Genesis 1. God gives the garden to Adam to keep. God gives Eve to Adam. God gives Adam and Eve covering as they've sinned. And God gives a promise throughout the Old Testament. Again and again, we see God being a God who gives. And ultimately, he's a God who gives his own son for us, who gives grace daily, who gives mercy daily. So we are called to give generously with a joyful spirit. Why? Because we have been given so much and God is able to make all grace abound to us in every way and he will increase. We will be enriched in every way to be generous. And what does it result in? It results in praise and thanksgiving and gratitude to God. Paul wraps up this whole discussion in chapters 8 and 9 with that last phrase. But thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Why does God call us to give? Because when we give, we imitate the giving of God. Ultimately, the gift of his own son. Giving, generous giving, is inherent to the gospel. Now, this doesn't mean that you're foolish and that you give away all that you have so you can't support yourself or your own family. That's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying, do you have a generous, joyful spirit that is willing to meet the needs of those around you? That may be financially. It might stretch you a little bit. Is that through your time? Is that through your energy? Through your ability? Many different ways in which you can give generously. And so I pray for us as a church, that we would not be known as a cheapskate church, but a church that has received much from Jesus Christ, that has received the greatest gift in Jesus Christ, and that we would be a generous church.
to each other, to our ministries, and to the work of God around us. One final quote. The story of God's gift of himself for our salvation cannot finally be told in full. It is unspeakably wonderful. Yet precisely because it is unspeakably wonderful, it must be spoken and retold again and again. If we could narrate it and tell it in full, we would cease speaking it. But it can never be exhausted, never fully explored, never fully explained or defined. It is to issue ever afresh in our thanksgiving, praise, song, and in our giving, not only within the Corinthians, but also with us. Because of what God has done, may we be generous people. And may we think, thank God for his inexpressible gift. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your example of giving. May we be a church that is generous in every way. Lord, and not, not seeking others thinking, well, you need to be generous to me. Lord, but that we would give without thought of return. Understanding that as we sow, we will reap as you deem fit. Lord, help us to be joyful and thankful and give praise to you. And may we understand you ultimately give us the ability to be generous. Or the world and our sinful nature, we want to hang on to things. We want to hoard rather than be willingly giving. Lord, help us not to find our rest and our trust in the stuff we have and what we can gather, but ultimately in you, knowing that you provide for us. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray for all this in your son's name. Amen.